The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Catholic Spirituality on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Father Herman Fliss, and in this episode I'm joined by our guest, Father Nicolas Desposito, Professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Thank you, Father, for joining us. Hello. Today we will continue our study of the book The Theology of Christian Perfection by the theologian Antonio Rosso Marin. Today we will cover chapter 6, entitled supernatural growth. Father, the author starts this chapter by making a few questions, which I will read. Can sanctifying grace increase and develop in us? What is the efficient cause of this increase? What are the laws which govern the growth of the supernatural organism? And how is this growth affected? Father, can you give us um, an answer to these questions? Uh, yes, and uh, the author will answer all these questions by giving five conclusions. And uh, this is also a kind of introduction to and gives many of the principles to be applied in the rest of the of the work. And many of the things here are are quite quite important and fundamental. The first conclusion is that sanctifying grace is meant to increase and develop in our souls. And uh, the reason is that, uh, is, as St. John says, sanctifying grace is the seed of God, and then we are uh, supposed to uh, make it fructify. Uh, this, the seed is sown in our souls by God in the sacrament of baptism, and we are supposed to make it grow and make it um, uh, fructify with good works. The So that's just very brief uh, answer or very brief conclusion. So yes, it is supposed to grow uh, this grace, not to remain in the same state, but has to grow. The second conclusion, God alone is the efficient cause of the increase of our supernatural life. And this, um, which this means is that because this is a different order, this is not the natural order in which we have the power to practice natural virtue. This is in our power. Um, but in the supernatural order, the cause, the the one who is going to give this um, grace and the increase of grace is God himself. So uh, this is the, the second conclusion and answers the one of the questions of, of the author. 
And in order to understand this, uh, it is very important to uh, have in mind the distinction between the natural and the supernatural orders, and that uh, no matter how many virtues we have in the natural order, uh, this doesn't do anything in the supernatural order. So we have to receive grace from God. We do that at baptism. And uh, afterwards, moved by grace, by actual graces, we dispose ourselves to the increase <clears throat> of habitual grace. And even when we are, we have a, even a good thought, uh, or we exercise the different virtues, is uh, we we do that uh, freely, but also moved with grace. Grace does not take away uh, free will, but uh, uh, is at the same time is necessary. Grace is necessary for any supernatural act, any supernatural exercise of the of those virtues. The third conclusion is, uh, ordinarily, the increase of grace is produced in two ways: ex opere operato by the sacraments and ex opere operantis by supernatural meritorious acts and by the impetratory efficacy of prayer. This is a little, um, the vocabulary, as you, you may notice in Latin, uh, things that we have to explain, and that's exactly what the author uh, does. He will explain the sacraments, or at least give, give us uh, the notion and introduction. Also, merit and prayer, those things that we we have to, to know in order to understand how this supernatural growth happens, how the supernatural organism, organism uh, works. So, Father, um, can we start uh, with the sacraments then? Yes, the, it, is, it says here that this is the fide, a truth of faith, that the sacraments confer grace ex opere operato. What that means, ex opere operato, means that the sacraments have an intrinsic power, which is independent of the subject, that is, of the person which uh, who receives the sacrament. So, um, here the author gives a quotation of the Council of Trent. If anyone says that through the sacraments of the new law, grace is not conferred, ex opere operato, but that faith alone in the divine promise suffices to obtain grace, let him him be anathema. So against the Protestants who said that faith was faith, uh, faith alone was sufficient in order to uh, have grace and uh, be saved. No, we have uh, the Catholic Church, the sacraments, those are the true means of salvation, and they have this intrinsic power, independent of the subject. Of course, as we're going to explain, uh, in order that those things actually affect what they are supposed to affect in our souls, we have to be disposed. We have to be disposed and uh, not put obstacles to the grace which uh, proceeds from the sacraments. So just think of the ocean, for example, as all this amount of water, so much water, and it, it is there, and we can... Um, if we go and try to get some of the water with a glass, for example, uh, the sacraments will be this fountain of, of water, and our souls are going to be the glass. Again, we're going to receive the, the grace 
uh, in the measure that we dispose ourselves. The greater the container or the glass or the cup, the more grace we're going to receive. But the, the sacraments um, by themselves and in themselves, they have this grace. That's what the, the ex opere operato means. There is another, that's to distinguish from ex opere operantis, which uh, the Latin uh, means that from the, um, from the work of the person who um, who receives the sacrament. So the uh, in order to have merit, not only you need the in the case in this case we're talking about the sacraments, but also we have to there is something of the subject, of course, and this is the the disposition and not placing obstacles to the grace. Uh, the author says in the next page, 106, in equal circumstances, the sacraments produce a greater or less infusion of grace according to the greater or less dignity of the sacrament. So that in equal circumstances is important here. Just uh, It means two different persons, but with the, the, the exactly the same disposition, will receive more or less grace according to uh, the... the which sacraments they receive. One sacrament, like the sacrament um, uh, of the Mass, of the Eucharist, does the, uh, the greatest of the sacraments. And of course, two, two persons who are disposed in the same manner will receive the, the same amount of grace from this. And for another lesser sacrament, uh, will receive less grace because of the dignity of the sacrament. However, the another... Uh, thing to understand is that not always we have the same kind of disposition, and here the subject or the person receiving the sacrament uh, has to um, dispose himself with the grace of God to re receive more of the grace that proceeds from the different sacraments. So, um, and the author points out that many times we emphasize too much the power of the sacraments themselves. The, the ex opere operato effect, and we forget that we also must have the container, that is, the, the person receiving the, the grace, uh, disposed to it. So it doesn't matter that uh, the Mass is, has infinite value, and all of this, uh, uh, this uh, is a fountain of graces and blessings, and of, uh, that, in a way, it, that will not matter if we do not dispose ourselves. For example, if we receive Holy Communion uh, with an attachment to venial sin and with distractions and dissipations, uh, that's, that will greatly decrease the amount of grace that we receive from this infinite source of, of, of grace. So it's very important that two, the two aspects, the ex opere operato, the intrinsic value of the sacrament, but also ex opere operantis, that's the disposition of the person receiving the sacrament. Those two things are very important. So that's uh, the first consideration here. Uh, good, Father. And I think uh, that point, uh, last point you made, would explain why some people uh, receive uh, frequently the Holy Eucharist, um, but they don't um, overcome or they don't advance um, too much in their spiritual life. It seems that the the explanation will be found in the lack of um, proper dispositions. Now, uh, let's go to the next point, which is uh, supernatural merit. What can you say about this, Father? Well, uh, 
the the author says that this is the a mo- most important question in the spiritual life, and it is because, I sp- and especially um, I would say in today's circumstances in which the notion of merit is uh, almost forgotten, the because of the influence of modernism and of naturalism, uh, it is very important for us to uh, to go through through these different notions. There is a distinction again to to make here about merit. Um, first of all, uh, merit signifies the value of an act which makes it worthy of a reward. So, um, uh, for example, the, if you have a student that is a very good student and uh, he, uh, we say, is meritorious, that is, he gets a reward, he can get not only like an A in an exam, but he can get like a medal or something that rewards him because of the merit because of the extra effort he has uh, placed, etc. That's uh, to make the, the, the notion of merit. It's a price, it's a reward for something that we do. There are two types of merits. The first is called condign merit, meritum de condigno, is based on reasons of justice. The second one is called congruous merit, meritum de congruo, and is not founded, this one on justice, or even pure gratitude, but on a certain fittingness by reason of the act and a certain liberality on the part of him who recompenses. An example will hopefully make things a little clearer. Um, it is um, when you have a, a soldier, for example, the pay, he receives a, a salary. And that's injustice. That's the continuo. But, uh, for example, if that same soldier were to perform an act of valor in the in the in battle, he receives like a medal or something like that, a condecoration. That's the congru. I mean, in in uh, strict justice, that's his job is to to perform that way and to show valor. But the usually out of, it is fitting to give this medal to a soldier that shows this kind of um, heroism. So that's the, just the, the example that shows one is the merit which is in justice and the other uh, out of certain uh, fittingness. Um, that's the first distinction. And this is important because there is something that we cannot merit in any way. The, and is the first grace, the first grace. That is the the, for example, if you are in the state of sin, original sin or mortal sin, after committing um, a sin after baptism, you cannot merit your conversion back to grace because the principle is that um, gra- the you cannot merit the principle of merit. So God will have to, uh, out of his mercy and liberality, give you this grace that you in no way can merit. And that's very important. The second thing you cannot merit in any way, neither the congruo nor the condigno, is the um, final perseverance. So that's why we have to pray every every single day for the grace of dying well. Uh, we may be in the state of grace right now. It does not mean necessarily that we are going to die in the state of grace. Why? Because the 
Final perseverance is a gift and cannot be merited. So those, that's uh, the basic practical a- application of this. Um, the author says merit always presupposes liberty and where there is no freedom, there can, there can be no merit or demerit. So uh, many times we, we ask, ask ourselves why God permits evil. Um, and if he made man uh, free, that is enjoying free will, which means that he's capable of evil, he's capable of sin, uh, we have to understand that he's free in order to be able to merit. So uh, by f- this, by free acts, uh, moved, of course, uh, our free acts doesn't mean that God is not going to give grace. I mean, it's always grace for any good thing, even a good thought, is presupposed a, a movement from on the part of God. But... Since we have free will, we can merit. So, except in those cases, I said final perseverance or the uh, the conversion to grace, to first grace, which is called everything else. We can merit everything else. We can merit heaven. We can merit the increase of of grace and thing and things like that. So, uh, th- that will be the practical application of this. And another thing which is important, it says here, it does not matter for merit, at least per se, what type of act is performed. What matters is the motive and manner of doing it. So this, uh, in a way, shows why Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, even though she didn't perform any extraordinary act, um, Nevertheless, she's the most perfect creature and the uh, the person that merited the most, even in simple tasks and just by her obedience to her duties of state, by her, her love of God, uh, she merited the the most and the mo- the, uh, the the a quantity of um, or an amount better an amount of grace which surpasses all other uh, creatures. Again doesn't matter which can or the difficulty of the act or which kind of act you perform, but even a very, very simple act or just obedience to your simple duties of state, just being a good mother, being a good student, being a good um, child, uh, obedience, etc. Those things that we we can do every day, if we do with, um, with an, with, for the love of God and with an intensity of, of charity, um, doesn't matter how small the act is in itself, we can merit very, very much. And that's, that explains that Our Lady and also many saints that we read in their lives that they didn't perform uh, extraordinary things. And many of them didn't even perform miracles or things like that. Those things are extraordinary and uh, by the, in themselves they don't even belong to the ordinary uh, development of this of the uh, supernatural life. So uh, again, uh, it says uh, for that reason, supernatural merit is especially evaluated by the virtue of charity. Everything is measured by the love you have for God, the intensity of the love of God with which an act is performed determines the degree of merit. 
the merit of the other virtues depends on the greater or less influence which charity has in the production of their acts. So, um, another thing uh, which is important, the acts performed under the impulse of charity, which means supernatural love, are more voluntary because they proceed from love, and love is the proper act of the will. For that reason also they are more meritorious. It is likewise evident that what we do out of love, we do with the greatest voluntariness. Whence also on the part of the voluntariness, which is required for merit, it is evident that merit pertains especially to charity. So, and that also gives you the idea why charity is the greatest of, of the virtues, the one that remains after this life. Faith and hope disappear um, because they attain their objects, but charity uh, the, remains and we enjoy God. And with the, that, that love, um, which is called charity, supernatural love. So, that's, those are uh, certain points which are... Um, important and uh, that help help us understand a little bit the, the why merit is important again supernatural made which proceeds from God but also that is done by us or by our free will and action and, and, and the grace of God those two things are always together free will and the grace of God um, later if you continue read the book in the page 109 it says notice the practical importance of this doctrine if properly understood it is one of the most efficacious means of combating slothfulness and tepidity in the service of god without acts which are constantly more fervent our supernatural life can become practically paralyzed at least on the score of supernatural merit since other laws gov govern the sacraments even when we live in the state of grace and perform many good works, but with stupidity and indifference. So the um, uh, this is uh, repeated over and over again by the saints, that in the spiritual life, either you go forward or you go backwards. You cannot stay in the same place. And we have to perform more fervent acts every time. So because charity... Imagine that it is like fire. It will not increase in intensity unless you add more fire to it. If you add the same amount of fire, it will remain the same heat. So there will be no, there will be no increase of heat. But if we add more uh, or a greater fire, it will increase the, uh, the degree of heat. And the example that the author gives here, it says... Um, he compares the increase of, of, of merit uh, with uh, a thermometer. He says, if a thermometer which now registers 72 degrees is to register 76 or 78 degrees, it is necessary that the surrounding air or water rise to that degree. If there is no rise in the surrounding element, the thermometer will not register an increase. The same thing, of course, in regard to the increase of habits, since this increase is nothing more than a greater radication in the subject, 
it is not is it is impossible that an increase be effected without a more intense act so we have to perform greater acts more intense acts of charity and of all the virtues every day and that's one of the reasons why we have holy communion every day that uh, St. Pius X permitted us to receive Holy Communion every day. That was not always the case in the history of the Church. It's very... Um, uh, we had to be grateful to live in these times and that we have the possibility of receiving Holy Communion. Because, as I said before, Holy Communion and the Holy Eucharist is like an infinite fountain of grace. If we are to increase our charity and all our virtues every day with more fervent acts, there's no better way than to receive Holy Communion and to attend Mass daily with more fervor than the day before. And that, by the way, is the only way to increase love and charity and merit, that we have more fervor today than we had yesterday when we received the Holy Holy Eucharist. So, uh, again, the, that's kind of useful and important in the in the practical order for um for uh, the, the people who are hearing how would you uh, measure your fervor how does one know um at least uh, can um measure his own uh, fervor well if you mean just to have an idea uh, how are you doing the spiritual life that yes. that that will be based on the performance of your spiritual and temporal duties. Uh, because the um, uh, charity itself uh, is going to manifest itself by obedience, obedience to God. And when the, the manner you obey God is by performing your duties. The more perfectly you perform your temporal and spiritual duties every day, uh, and the, the more effort you put in, in doing those things well, uh, that will... Uh, be a sign of a more intense love of God and intense charity. But on the other hand, if you are negligent in your duties, both spiritual, uh, for example, neglecting your daily rosary, spiritual reading, um, your meditations and uh, examination of conscience, things like that, or the temporal duties, if you are lazy uh, in uh, whatever, in, in your work, or you are not a good very good parent or things like that, those will manifest a less degree, a lesser degree of charity and less intense love for God. On the opposite is true. Uh, all the saints did perform their duties uh, perfectly. And uh, so, again, with the grace of God, of course, but we are going to have that grace if we pray. So prayer is, is very important. And um, that's why we speak our prayer here. And that's the, the, the next the next point. Good. We enter now on the question of prayer, and uh, there are several divisions. Uh, the first division is uh, the effects. What can you say about that, Father? Well, the the effects are, first of all, the distinction between the, the four values of prayer, which is the same as the, the four kinds of... Um, um, the effects of the of the sacrifice prayer has the same effects, which are satisfactory, meritorious, impetratory, and a certain spiritual delight. So the the satisfactory first the effect of, of satisfaction of prayer, the value 
to satisfy for our sins, to be able to erase the temporal punishment that is uh, due because of our faults. That's the first of the effects and value of prayer. So when we pray, uh, we ask God for many things, the things that we need, and uh, for the increase of virtue, for uh, even we can ask uh, for temporal things if those things are in view of, uh, uh, of our supernatural end. But th- that prayer is also going, because if it is done well, we're going to see today the conditions of prayer, uh, is done with humility, with confidence, with love, that's going to get rid of many of the uh, punishments, uh, the, the punishment that we deserve for our sins. So the um, uh, the sins are remitted in those who love much, and uh, that's the, the, the first value or the first effect. Uh, the second one is uh, the, the merit, as where is meritorious to pray increases the what uh, increases a we say the effect that's going to have in eternity. The more merit we have here on earth is going to have a an influence in the place we are going to have in heaven. So that's the second one. Uh, the also the impetratory we ask for things on God, and this is the the prayer of petition. Uh, we ask for things that uh, interest us in our supernatural life, and also, as I said before, we can ask for for um, uh, temporal things. Of course, if they do not contradict our last end, and it says here. As a meritorious act, prayer implies a relation of justice in regard to a reward. Its impetratory value implies a relation simply to the mercy of God. As meritorious, it has an intrinsic efficacy for obtaining a reward. So when you pray for something and you persevere in that prayer, uh, you are going to obtain that reward that, uh, uh, that you are asking for. As impetratory, its efficacy rests solely on the promise of God, which means that God has promised to hear our prayers. He's not bound or necessitated uh, to hear us, but uh, He has said, if you do this and you follow the conditions for prayer, I am going to answer your prayer. The meritorious efficacy uh, is based above all on charity. The impetratory value is based primarily on faith. So that's the... Uh, and the, the last thing is says that prayer, the last uh, effect, uh, should uh, give uh, some delight, spiritual delight. Thus, the, uh, for that, I think we have said it before, but in order that that is true, it is indispensable to practice mortification because, as you probably know by experience, prayer sometimes can be difficult, and sometimes there is uh, aridity um, which makes prayer not to be very pleasant. But by in itself, it should give delight and joy to the soul. So the those are the, the four effects. Father, um, the next point uh, is uh, very interesting. Uh, the author speaks about or considers the infallible efficacy of prayer. What can you say about that, Father? Yes, prayer is infallible. and But, so there's always a but, you have 
certain conditions. As we said uh, in other occasion, God is ready to give us many things, but there are conditions. So it's not, uh, uh, we have to follow certain rules. And here are the, as a conclusion, which is the fourth conclusion of the author, answering those questions that we asked in the beginning. It says, prayer, when it fills the requirements, infallibly obtains what is asked in virtue of the promises of God. So, again, on the one hand, it is infallible, that is, we are going to obtain what we ask for, but we have to uh, fulfill the requirements. Many times, God does not answer our prayers because there is something lacking, and we are going to go through the different conditions. The first condition is that one must pray for himself. So, um, because uh, if we pray for someone else, even though God may hear us, he's not bound to hear us, and also that person for whom we are praying may not be properly disposed, may put obstacles to the grace of God, and therefore in that is the effect is not infallible again god may hear us and in fact many times he he does hear us when we pray for someone else but if we pray for ourselves and we follow the, the other conditions too god is going to answer infallibly our prayer and that the whole reason is because when we pray for, for ourselves we are uh, basically being disposed to receive the, the proper effect. While if we pray for someone else, we are not sure if the person is disposed or not. So uh, that's the, 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 first, uh, the first condition, that we pray for uh, ourselves. The second condition, one must pray for those things necessary for salvation. So, um, and this is... Uh, quite uh, obvious. It says this means anything at all which in any way is necessary or useful for salvation. As such, it falls under the infallible impetration of prayer. Hence, we can impetrate by prayer the growth or increase of the infused virtues and of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and even those things which cannot in any way be merited. It is evident from this, that the area of impetration is much wider than none of merit. Remember, we said in the beginning, you cannot merit final perseverance, um, but here you can pray for it, and God is going to hear your prayer if the conditions are there, so are met. So, um, it says at the end of this condition, the church, under the guidance of the Holy Ghost, frequently begs in the liturgy for these graces, which no one can merit in the strict sense of the word. So you can see how important prayer is, that things that we cannot even merit, not even the congruo, um, we can pray for them and, and we can receive that uh, because God has promised to hear our prayer if we pray for something which is uh, in view of our salvation. The third condition, one must pray piously. Piously. By this, uh, St. Thomas uh, means that um, he refers to all the conditions which are required on the part of the individual who prays. Pio, with piety, that is, piously means that we have to be humble. Humility, 
with all of the things that that implies, a true humility, the confidence in God, attention and petition in the name of Christ. So, uh, attention is is important, of course. If you, if we do not pay attention when we are praying, why God is going to pay attention to to that petition? So, the um, attention in prayer is very important. Later on in this uh, <clears throat> uh, in this work, we're going to go through the, the the different obstacles to attention and how to to pray with the proper the proper way and petition in the name of Christ. So the those are when we pray, we pray to God through Christ, and those are, those are the that's the third condition. It says that some authors include all these subjective, con- subjective conditions under the heading of the state of grace, without which, they say, no one can pray piously. Uh, but this author says that that's not true. St. Thomas raises this very uh, objection, and he solves it. The sinner cannot pray piously in the sense that his prayer is informed by the supernatural habit of the virtue of piety which he lacks, but he can pray piously in the sense that he can ask for something that pertains to piety, just as he who does not have the habit of justice may nevertheless desire something that is just. Let me explain that. So, you may be, when it says a sinner, somebody who is in the state of mortal sin. So, there is no grace here, so he's not in the uh, friend of God. So, the question is, can he pray with in a, in a pious manner. So, and the answer of St. Thomas is yes, because again, you can have the, the sinner, even though he he's not in the taste of grace, he can receive actual graces and be uh, well disposed uh, to, for, to make a good prayer. He can pray for his own conversion. Again, grace is always presupposed. There's no natural virtue here. It's a supernatural thing, but uh, when we say the sinner is someone who is not in the state of grace. So with piety or piously doesn't mean necessarily that the person who prays is in the state of uh, of grace. And there is another condition here. says the prayer must be made with perseverance. And this is probably the one that the condition that is not met because people become discouraged, or they think, oh, God didn't answer my prayer, therefore I will stop praying. And they, they lack the patience, and they they uh, basically want God to follow their own time. Uh, but our Lord says that we have to pray with perseverance. We have to ask over and over again until He answers our prayer. And uh, perseverance is very important. God may re- give us what we ask for after many, many years. And uh, still, we have to continue praying. Um, and remember that if he does not, if God does not give us exactly what we ask for, he is going to give us something better. So never he will give us something worse or less perfect. But he either he will answer our prayer and uh, perfectly uh, in the sense that he will literally give what we are praying for, or he will give us something better. Um, uh, an example I can give you is the, the parents of Saint Teresa of Lisieux. Uh, they wanted to have a child uh, in in order to that that child become a priest, and uh, they they wanted to have a priest as 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 their as their son, 
And um, because in the beginning they wanted to practice perfect chastity, even when they were married, but the priest told them, no, just uh, try to look for a, a son in order that he is a priest and you can be the, the parents of a priest. They didn't get that, but they got St. Therese of Lisieux. So I would say that they got something better uh, in their prayer. So that's an, as an, an example. Um, and here gives uh, examples of Holy Scripture, the women of Cana, uh, who insisted, in spite of uh, an apparent rebuff, remember our Lord didn't, uh, he said, uh, they won't even uh, to give, treat her as a, basically as, as a dog, and she answered, even the little dogs eat from the leftovers. Um, so our Lord saw that humility and the perseverance, and actually gave, uh, performed a miracle and gave for what she was asking for. So those are the, the four conditions. So again, let's go through them. We have to pray for ourselves. We have to pray for something that is necessary or useful for salvation. We have to pray with piety. And uh, we have to pray with perseverance. If we follow those four conditions, our Lord is going to answer infallibly our prayer. Very good. That um, was um, very, very clearly explained. Now, the next point is um, growth of the supernatural organism. And uh, we start with the fifth conclusion. What is that, Father? Yeah, this is the last conclusion that answered the last of the questions of the author. Um, it says, I will read the conclusion and explain briefly. By the worthy reception of the sacraments, by the performance of works which are supernaturally meritorious, and by the impetratory efficacy of prayer, the infused habits, those are the virtues and gifts, all increase at the same time, and this increase is effected by a greater inher inherence uh, or radication in the subject. So... Uh, in other words, if you increase one virtue, for example, justice, just to give you an example, all of the virtues increase with it. So, by the way, that doesn't mean that it will give you the facility of all the virtues. For example, you may uh, increase the, the virtue by increasing your justice, becoming more just, you may increase your virtue of, um, for example, sobriety, but that will not give you the facility to practice sobriety. So if, for example, you have an inclination to of drunkenness, and, but you at the same time you practice a lot of other virtues like justice, the, you're becoming very, very just, is going to make you so, uh, more sober in the sense of the virtue of sobriety, but it's not going to give you the facility for practicing sobriety. It's going to give you only the facility to practice um, justice. So, in other words, all the virtues increase, yes, even when we increase only one, but not the facility of practicing the different virtues, only the facility to practice that virtue that we are increasing in itself. So that's, that's a little detail uh, just to, to point, out, point out. That's why when we try to um, exercise a particular virtue or to conquer a particular vice, we're supposed to start with a predominant fault. So either um, that is the, the default that we commit more often or daily and more frequently to attack that first, because that, that means that for us it's more difficult 
to uh, to um, avoid that fault than to avoid other other faults or to practice other virtues to which we may be naturally inclined. That is, we have the facility. So if we start with our particular fault, after the practice of all the other virtues will be easier with regard to uh, to facility and to inclination. Uh, but if we just take, okay, I have an inclination to, um, I don't know, um, I am a very affable person, so I will just practice more and more affability, in a way that doesn't make too much sense, you should begin with something that is difficult for you, so to conquer that, and in such a way that um, your predominant fault disappears, and uh, with that you will also increase all the other virtues. So the first consequence of this, it says, two important conclusions follow from this doctrine. The first is the impossibility that an infused virtue could be perfect by itself alone, um, that is, without other being perfect also, that is, you increase all of the virtues. So you cannot have, for example, uh, like a heroic degree of, um, of faith, but like a very, very imperfect degree of justice, or you're almost like an unjust person. No, you, you have to increase all of them. In, united as they are among themselves and rooted in grace, from which in a certain manner they flow and to which they are ordained, and having charity as their form, when some of them increase by a more intense act, they draw with them the entire supernatural organism. In other words, there is an increase in grace, which is the principle of the virtues. There is an increase in charity, which is the form of the virtues, and in all the other virtues and gifts, which are inseparably connected with the grace and charity. So, uh, and the second consequence is the second conclusion derived from the first is that for the growth of the habit of the virtues, it is not necessary to practice all of them. Even those virtues which are not exercised because of the lack of opportunity are increased in the, by the exercise of the other virtues. So he gives an example here. A mendicant saint, that is a, uh, a saint that... Uh, belongs to a mendicant order, which used to be the, the uh, Carmelites, Franciscans, Dominicans, for example, uh, cannot practice the virtue of magnificence, for this requires the expenditure of great wealth in the service of God, or for the benefit of one's neighbor, for the glory of God. So the mendicant um, is, has the vow of poverty, and they cannot even possess things uh, if... Uh, depends the order, but the, for example, the Franciscans couldn't even possess things uh, as a as the order. So the, the Benedictines were different; they they possessed private property. The congregations did. The Franciscans were very very strict. They had this this poverty as uh, emphasized. So which means that a Franciscan friar, a, a brother, cannot practice this magnificence. That is the. Uh, to, to build like great cathedrals or give uh, a lot of money to the poor because he doesn't have it, so he cannot practice that virtue. But he can, uh, he can and thus possess the habit of the virtue uh, of magnificence in a perfect state and is disposed to practice it uh, at least uh, in preparazione animi, that's the disposition of his, his uh, soul as the theologians say. So, if the possibility should arise, if one day that mendicant brother or the priest becomes a bishop, he will uh, have the, um, he will practice that magnificence, uh, etc. So, again, the, um, uh, 
we may not have the possibility of practicing all the virtues, but if we increase those virtues uh, that we can exercise, we increase all of them. So that's what what is uh, that's the the teaching here. Very well, and then we're getting close to uh, the end of the chapter, and there is this la- last um, point which speak, uh, speaks about the normal development. Uh, Father, what do we mean by normal development? Well, this is uh, to make sure people understand that when you read the life of a saint and you see miracles, prophecies, uh, extraordinary uh, practices, practice of, of certain of certain virtues, extraordinary in the sense that something that that is miraculous, uh, those things do not belong to the normal development or the ordinary development of spiritual life. So those are many times graces given for the sake of others. Um, and uh, what, but what is common to all the saints, and then, and they're supposed to be common in 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 every soul that is in the that has been baptized. Um, and the vocation that we have, all of us, and the universal vocation to sanctity, is that the, the spiritual life depends on this growth of the seed of glory, which is sanctifying grace. That's the normal development. So sanctifying grace, uh, becoming more and more rooted in the soul, and all the virtues uh, in, in increasing daily and becoming perfect. We're going to see in the future that uh, in order that those virtues become actually perfect, they need the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. That's something that is really important, that even uh, even the virtue of charity cannot uh, arrive at perfection without the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And that's Again, that's the normal, the common, the ordinary way in which uh, everyone is supposed to sanctify himself. So the ascetical and the mystical life is uh, for everyone. We all have a vocation to the mystical life. So it's not something extraordinary. And that is the the ascetical is basically the practice of the virtues, disposing ourselves um, and removing obstacles in order to be ready for that movement of the of the or the actuation of the gifts of the holy ghost those gifts that by the way we already have but they must be actuated by god when is he going to actuate those gifts ordinarily when we dispose ourselves and, and when we have purged uh, our bad dispositions and and um, and faults etc that's why the the ascetical life is so important prayer mortification, exercise of the virtues under the influence of grace. All of those things is the ascetical life. What is the mystical life? When God decides to put those gifts of the Holy Ghost that we have into motion and we uh, get uh, something called contemplation, mystical contemplation, infused contemplation, that we're going to speak into in more detail in the future. But it should be a source or a cause of... Um, um, so hope, increase our hope um, that we are all called to the to this to the perfection of charity to the mystical order. And uh, today we have seen that we can merit the increase of virtue, and uh, and even though we cannot merit certain things, we can ask for those things like final perseverance uh, in prayer if we follow 
the necessary conditions. Thank you, Father. We always um, return to the importance of uh, prayer, and that is obviously um, a key in the spiritual life. With this, Father, we reach the end of the chapter. Uh, next chapter, we will start uh, uh, the next section of the book, which uh, treats on Christian perfection. Uh, it will be very uh, interesting, so uh, I encourage our listeners to uh, join us next time. Father, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Catholic Spirituality is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions for Father Disposito or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholicspirituality at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions and comments to Father Disposito. We would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.